0: the Dayton Women in the Word podcast, where you can listen to this summer's teachings through the book of 2 Timothy. On this week's episode, Jillian explores the context of Paul's second letter to Timothy. If you'd like, you can open your 2 Timothy companion guide to the context questions handout on page 9 to follow along with Jillian. Let's get started with week 1 of our 2020 summer study.
1: Welcome to session one of our Second Timothy study. It seems a little ironic that I've just said hello to you, and now I'm going to talk about saying goodbyes. Goodbyes can really range in emotion. They can be as simple and casual as after a while crocodile to the dramatic. I'm thinking a little bit more of sound of music. So long, farewell of to say goodbye. Are you thinking of some goodbyes in your life right now? What are some memories that the word goodbye stirs up in your heart? A more recent memory for me and my family of a process of goodbye was when we put together a memory book for our foster son, who was reuniting with his biological mom. In that memory book, we wanted to fit all of the words that our hearts were really wanting to say, and we put in their memories of the past and wisdom we hope will carry him in to the future. And that memory really resonates with what I find in the book of 2 Timothy, because Paul is a spiritual father saying goodbye to his spiritual son. And he really thought through and chose his words carefully as he walked through this process of saying goodbye. And I also want to choose my words carefully in this session today, so would you bow in a word of prayer with me? God, thank you for the gift of delighting in your word together today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. Would you open our hearts to the wondrous things in your word today and just set the table before us for the absolute feast you have for us in your word this summer. In your name we pray, amen. Today we will be talking all about the context of 2 Timothy. And why we do that is because we want to set the table, like I said in my prayer, for the feast that is ahead of us. I love that my co-teacher Daisy brought this up to me because she loves setting tables for all the parties that she throws. And we wanna invite you to this Bible party with us today. And I'm going to be pointing out to you throughout the talk today the tablecloth that is underneath all of those table settings, and that is God's grace. A couple more words about context. Why we study context is because the scripture can never mean for us today what it never meant for the original hearer. So we need to get into the head and the heart space of the original audience so then we can get the meaning God has for us today. The Word of God, however, is just as much for us today as it was for them then. Actually, in this book, in 2 Timothy 3:16, we find this hallmark passage of the Bible. All scripture is inspired by God, some say God breathed, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God. Let me pause for a second because this word in the Greek actually means general humanity. So that's us too, ladies. The women of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this summer, the word of God is going to teach us. It's going to correct us. We need to be prepared that it will rebuke us and it will train us for all that God has ahead for us in our life. In Hebrews 4.12, it says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is alive, and it is for living people. It's for us today. Philip Jensen in his commentary, 2 Timothy for you, pointed out that really all scripture says something about our sinful human condition and our absolute need for Jesus. And we're going to encounter that need in 2 Timothy. And lastly, context points us to the character of God. We want to see God's character that remains the same yesterday, today, and today. And forever and we have included in your companion guide an attributes of God handout and what we want you to begin noting all of the things that you learn about God's character starting today and I want to present to you especially the character trait of grace that God is a gracious God today by God's grace We can learn truth about God from the book of 2 Timothy that Timothy needed then, and that we Dayton women in the word, or wherever you are joining us from today, that we need today. So there are five context questions we're gonna set on our table today. That is who wrote it? Who was it written to the audience? When was it written? In what style it was written, the genre, and why was it written? Let's get started with the first one. Who wrote it? Paul. There is some debate about this, but not much. The very first word of the first verse of 2 Timothy is Paul, identifying himself as the author. And we know a lot about Paul from the Bible. We know what he says about himself, and we know uh, about him a lot from the book of Acts. In this book, Paul identifies himself three ways, as an apostle, as a herald, and as a teacher. An apostle, simply put, is a person God appointed to spread the good news about God's kingdom. A herald, you might recognize that word from Hark the herald angels sing. What were the angels heralding? They were saying, hey, listen up. The the good news is that Jesus is here. A herald is someone who announces, announcing the good news of Jesus. Paul also said he was a teacher, and we will find much about that teaching gift in the book of 2 Timothy. We also know what he says about himself in Acts 22. There we find a discourse that Paul gives where he identifies himself a couple different ways. First, he says that he is Jewish, and that he's originally from Tarsus in Cilicia. And if you're looking at a map, it kind of looks like um, an armpit, and you'll find that Tarsus is right above um, that corner area. He was highly educated in, in the law. And he was, uh, he was raised in Jerusalem likely for that purpose because Jerusalem was the uh, spiritual religious center for the Jewish people. And he was a Pharisee. And if you know anything about Pharisees from the Bible, you know they were not fans of Jesus and often opposed him and his teachings. And they were very focused on on that law. They were very legalistic. So much so that they missed out on the person that actually wrote that law in the first place. We know more about Paul from the Bible as well. We know his history, we know about his conversion, and we know about his ministry. His history is that Paul persecuted Christians. He absolutely ravaged the church. That is the word the Bible uses for Paul's attitude and actions towards the church. Right before we see Paul's conversion, In Acts, he had approved of the first Christian martyrdom of Stephen. And when um, God um, meets him shortly after that, he was on the road to persecute even more Christians. So now we're going to talk about his conversion, which we find in Acts 9. And I'd invite you to pause and turn in your Bibles to Acts 9 with me. I'm going to summarize most of it and just point out a few key verses that I want you to look at together. Um, At the time of Paul's conversion, he was still known as Saul, so don't let that throw you. They're the same guy, and he was literally still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. The Lord shone a light from heaven and audibly asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul was blinded after this for three days. God sent a disciple named Ananias to him. He wanted him to lay hands on him so he could recover his sight. And Ananias did not want to go. Now, I'm just speculating here, but in my mind, it would seem that Ananias might either be fearful Of Paul because he is known to be ravaging the church right now, or he's ashamed. Maybe he doesn't want to be associated, seen with this guy. And fear and shame is something Paul will talk a lot about in 2 Timothy. But God says this to Ananias in verse 15. He says, "'Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel.'" So Paul goes from foremost sinner, what he calls himself, to chosen instrument. God says, he's mine and I have a purpose for him. And what's that purpose? To carry God's name far and wide to many different people groups in many different places. And then in verse 16, we find this poignant uh, poignant verse that God also says to Ananias for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name and we will see this come to fruition in second Timothy we'll hear some theology of suffering as we open this book for the sake of the gospel And this was God's intention for Paul all along that he would share the gospel even through suffering why For the sake of God's name, to make his name great. So Ananias went and did what God told him to do. And in verse 18 it says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is really good news for us, ladies. Because we see that Paul went from being the worst of sinners to chosen instrument of God's. So this proves that there is no sinner too far gone that God can't save them or use them for his glory and his kingdom. I call that grace. Next, we know some things about Paul's ministry. We know that it was extensive, it was instrumental, and it was dangerous. It was extensive because Paul had three missionary journeys that covered much ground. Some estimate that his travels were over 10,000 miles put all together. And this would have been by foot, maybe by animal, maybe by boat sometimes. um, It took a long time back in that day. It was extensive because he, uh, oh, and it was instrumental excuse me, it was instrumental in spreading the gospel and the development of the first century church. So from scripture, we know he went wide, planting churches and spreading the gospel, but we also know that he went deep in his discipleship of people. And in Second Timothy, we see one of those relationships with Timothy himself. And we know, lastly, that these journeys were really dangerous. He faced many trials, imprisonments, and suffering along the way. I want to bring up to you this passage in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. It says, five times, this is Paul talking, five times I received at the hands of the Jew the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I counted eight dangers there, by the way. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul's ministry was extremely dangerous, but he considered it extremely worth it. So now he is at the end of his extensive, instrumental, dangerous ministry, and he fully expects not to get out of this one. His execution is imminent, and this is his farewell letter. And this will be the end of our discussion of the human author of this book. But what I want you to remember again and take away from his life is that by God's grace, the foremost sinner can be saved by God and called according to his purpose. Now, who was the audience? Timothy You will find at the end of the book in chapter 4, verse 22, a plural you, what we would say you all or y'all, depending on where you're joining us from. And that just means that Paul knows Timothy will likely read this to other believers for their encouragement as well. What do we know about Timothy? Well, my co-teacher, Megan, created this beautiful character guide for Timothy that you'll find in, inside of your companion guide, and I suggest you really look through it to, um, to get familiar with Timothy's life, because we don't have much time to talk about him today. But I will just highlight a couple things for you today. We know that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. And this would help him um, in particularly unique ways, be able to speak to any group of people that he came across in his ministry. We know that he came from a family of believers. His mother and grandmother are um, spoken of specifically here in 2 Timothy, but there may have been others in his family that were saved as well. We know he grew up in Lystra in the Roman province of Galatia again. Sorry to keep calling it an armpit, but it's just to the left of Tarsus if you are looking at a map in your companion guide. It's possible, we don't know this for sure, but it's possible that Paul could have met Timothy on his first missionary journey because he did pass through Lystra on his way there. Um, But If he did meet Timothy on that first missionary journey, we know that he would have encountered Paul around the age of 30. And when Paul writes the book of 2 Timothy, Timothy would have been around the age of 49. So this just tells you that even if the numbers aren't exactly right, that Paul and Timothy have some history. They have some years behind their relationship, 20 years by this estimate, around and then Timothy joined with Paul in his ministry on the second missionary journey. We read that account in Acts 16, and I'll just invite you to turn with me there, Acts 16, 1 through 5. We have this, this account of Paul selecting Timothy and them joining ministry together. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in their numbers daily. So a couple things from this account we can learn about about Timothy. We know he was highly thought of, and we know um, that Although we don't have any words from Timothy recorded here about his reaction to being selected, we know he was all in from the get-go because he very personally sacrificed for the cause of Christ. He submitted to being circumcised by Paul, and this was likely so that there would be no argument or um, Uh, stumbling block for the Jews they would come across in being able to hear teaching from Timothy. So the result of his obedience and partnership with Paul was that the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew daily in their numbers. So Paul and Timothy began their uh, journeys together but throughout these travels, Paul would often send Timothy out to share the gospel in another area or to support a church um, in a different area where he was at. And eventually, Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus to help help lead the church there. And that is where we find Timothy um, when Paul writes the book of 2 Timothy. So how does all this history help us in understanding the relationship between Paul and Timothy? Well, we know that their relationship was personal, missional, and intentional. And I want to point this out to you because this is really God's heartbeat for all discipleship relationships. And so he has this heartbeat for the women in your life he wants you to disciple as well. Their relationship was personal. They've been through a lot together. I want you to think about a time when you've been through a really meaningful experience with someone and that really bound you together. I mean, just think about all uh, that we've been through with COVID-19. Who have you been sheltering in place with or without? And how has that bound you together? We don't know exactly of how many of these approximated 10,000 miles Paul traveled on that Timothy also was with him but we know it was a lot. In your companion guide, there's a resource for you, again from Megan, that will help you visualize some of these travels that they had. And I'm struck in the character guide how many Timothy is with Pauls there are. All that gives background into the longing we hear in Paul's voice as he is writing to Timothy. Their relationship was also missional. Paul, although he loves Timothy dearly, he often sends him away because that sacrifice is worth it to advance the gospel because they knew they could spread the gospel even further in those instances when they were apart. And lastly, their relationship was intentional. They don't happen by accident to come across each other. God intended for that to happen. And Paul very intentionally cultivates this discipleship relationship with Timothy. Paul notices Timothy, he selects him, he serves with him, he sends Timothy out and then sends for Timothy, and he exhorts Timothy through letters from afar. This is a beautiful picture of discipleship. And I want you to begin thinking about how you can be more missional and intentional and personal with those God has placed in your own life. Discipleship relationships are a gracious gift from a gracious God that he uses to spread the gospel. Now we're going to get to our next question, and that is, when was it written? Likely A.D. 64 to 65, although some date it as late as 67 A.D. If you're like me, those numbers don't mean very much to you. All you know is that it was a long, long time ago. And none of us can remember because none of us were there. Um, But we do know that um, we have a clue to why they dated it at this time. And that was because Nero was the one who ordered Paul's execution. So it would have been before the end of Nero's reign, which was AD 68. We know that Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. And we just have no concept of the conditions of Roman prisons. So I I really researched a little bit here, and I found an article from Christianity Today that described a Roman prison in the day of Paul in three words, stench, misery, and pain. I read that as prisoners, before their even imprisonment started, they would be flogged, and their wounds would be left open to fester with no medical help. So they would become infected. And that was just the beginning. In prisons, they were cold. They had very little food or water or sanitation. In some circumstances, when prisoners would be together, they, there would be um, sexual abuse happening within them. It was so bad that prisoners often wished for death or committed suicide and that's why it's just completely bonkers to me all these accounts we find of Paul exhibiting such strength and fortitude and even joy as he is in prison I'm thinking particularly of an account when he was imprisoned with his buddy Silas in a Roman colony in Philippi and they were singing in prison and God used that to advance the gospel Even if you don't know much about that um, time period in history, if you're like me, um, it's helpful to know more of what was going on in the grand story of Scripture. We call that the meta narrative. And we've included a, a timeline in your companion guide. You can see um, more details here, but you'll be able to see the four main movements or chapters, if you will, through Scripture. When we meet uh, Paul and Timothy here, we're at the end of the New Testament period. So at the very end of that timeline, you'll see. And that timeline starts with creation, moves on to fall, then hits redemption, and then the last movement is consummation, restoration, or new creation. It's called a couple different things, but all meaning that last movement. And we haven't got there yet. It's important to remember we're still in this story. So when we talk about creation, we're thinking about the very beginning when God created all things beautiful and whole and we had a right relationship with him. But then Adam and Eve and every person living after them made a choice. We made the choice that our ways were better in our minds than God's. And so we fell, we experienced that fall and that brokenness, that separation between us and God. But God always had a plan to bring his people close to him again. In the Old Testament, we see um, God putting a system of sacrifice forth so that um, people could be in right relationship with him again. But he had in mind an ultimate sacrifice in Jesus, our Redeemer, who was perfect and never sinned. And so he was the most holy sacrifice to make that um, bridge to cover us, to make us right with a holy God. So now we can live as redeemed redeemed. And we're in that redemption period today. And that's where Paul and Timothy were when we meet them in this book. And we're waiting for Christ to come back again and end sin and suffering and coronavirus for good. It's important we remember that today. He's got a plan and he's coming. Amen. I love in 2 Timothy, there's a point where Paul is encouraging Timothy with the gospel, and he has this huge run-on sentence. And I just want to point out a phrase from that sentence. And we'll come back to um, this sentence again in another um, lesson. But if you look at 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10... Paul preaches the gospel to Timothy. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and ding, 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 grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. I want to point out that phrase, before the ages began. Because although we are meeting Paul and Timothy at the end of the New Testament period, God had this grace and this calling in mind for them before the ages began. And he has that in mind for us today, sisters. Before the ages began. So when AD 64 or 65, but also uh, before the beginning of time. In what style was it written? There are two styles we're going to talk about today, epistle and farewell discourse. Epistle or letter. We're really reading somebody else's mail here. Very simply put, it's communication between one person to another. And it may be hard to even compare it to our very overly communicative world we live in today. You might feel a little zoomed out or Marco Poloed out or whatever else you're meeting on these days. Um, But the communication back then with these letters They were expensive um, to write, parchment was not cheap, and it was very slow going from one person sending it to the other person receiving it. It's helpful to know that the Bible was arranged um, not chronologically so much, but more categorically. So all these epistles are grouped together at the end of the Bible. There are 21 of them, and 13 were written by Paul, and he's not the only author of these epistles. There's John, James, Peter, Jude, and there's the unknown author of Hebrews. 2 Timothy is placed in a category really all its own called the pastoral letters with 1 Timothy and Titus. And they're called the pastoral letters because God includes so much in those books about his heartbeat for the church and the structure, the good structure he has for it there. But 2 Timothy stands out a little bit from those books in that it was less on the practical side and more on the personal side. There is a format to epistles that you'll find common to them. There is an opening, who it's to and who it's from, a greeting, a hi how you doing, a Thanksgiving which is I'm grateful for you and you and you and this and this and this. There was a body which would really make up the bulk of the letter and there was the conclusion which could have greetings, a travel request, final conclusions prayers etc and we see a lot of that in at the end of 2 Timothy some distinguish epistles from letters, but you'll see I've used it synonymously. Those who do distinguish those two say that epistles are more for the general audience and more full of theology. An example they would have for an epistle would be Romans because it's chock full of theological truths. Letters, and those who distinguish them, would be more the personal side of things. Letters like 2 Timothy or 2 John or Philemon, ones that were very specifically to someone, from someone, and have uh, are less dense with, um, with those truths like we would, we would c- compare with a book like Romans. Um, It's important to know that we only have one side of the communication here. We don't get to know all the reasons necessarily why the writer is writing. Sometimes it might have been a sinful pattern coming up in a church or a specific problem. Or maybe the point is just for them to exhort the other person. Um, But we only get one side of the story. It might be frustrating at times um, to think about this, but I just wanna encourage you that we have the side of the communication that God wanted us to have, and there is so much encouragement there. The other style is farewell discourse, the goodbyes that we were talking about at the beginning of this talk. In the ESV, it lists these reasons, um, or these common pieces we find in discourses in the Bible. You will find announcement of departure, direction to keep God's commandments, predictions of what will happen after the writer's departure, words of comfort or instruction of those who will survive the speaker, and appeals to remember what the speaker has taught. That is certainly true of a lot of 2 Timothy. This is not Paul's only farewell discourse. In Acts 20, 17 through 38, Paul bids farewell to the Ephesian elders, knowing good and well that this is the final time he will see them. In Acts 20, verse 22 through 24, I'm going to read just a little bit of this discourse. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of what? God grace. It was worth it to Paul to leave it all behind for the gospel of God's grace. Last question, why was it written? We find practical purposes, and we find spiritual purposes. Some of the practical reasons Paul wrote is that he is cold in that Roman prison. He wants his cloak, and he is going to study and write until the very last breath he has, and so he asks for more parchment and some scrolls. He also wants refreshment that comes from other believers, And so he asks for others to come and be that refreshment for him. There's also some spiritual purposes. To say goodbye, to plead with Timothy, to be loyal to the gospel, to labor for the gospel, and not to be ashamed of the gospel. I really like how the ESV sums up the why. It says 2 Timothy is a bold, clear call for perseverance in the gospel in spite of suffering. Paul calls on his young co-worker to continue the fight of faith, even as Paul approaches the end of his own life. We chose for you ladies and for ourselves the passage of 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3 to be our main uh, passage of scripture that we'll be memorizing this summer. Because it sums up so well what Paul says many different ways throughout this small letter. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do me a favor, sisters, and insert your name in the You Then part. Jillian, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We, like Timothy and Paul, need God's grace to strengthen us for the work he has given each and every one of us to do, including the work of summer study. And though Paul is talking about Timothy's specific call, We all, to some extent, have a call to share the gospel, to teach others, and to share in that suffering. Like Timothy, I am a child of God who will be strengthened by this grace. So let's look at our table. Are you excited? Are you ready to dig in? And let's see that tablecloth of grace laid out underneath it all. By God's grace, we can learn truth about God from the book of Second Timothy that Timothy needed then and that we also, you, Dayton women in the word, and wherever you're joining us from, need today. By God's grace, the foremost sinner can be saved by God and called according to his purpose. Discipleship relationships are a gracious gift from a gracious God. To share the gospel, teach others, and share in suffering. Like Timothy, I am a child of God, being strengthened by this grace. It's God's grace, sister. The grace that's been given to us before the ages began, revealed to us today through this book. Grace given to us in salvation from Jesus Grace expressed again and again through the gift of discipleship. And it's this grace strengthening us today. Thank you, God, for your glorious grace. And it is with this reminder of his grace that I send you out today. The table is set. Are you ready to dig in? Next week, Laura will talk to us even more about the why as she further explores the major themes of Second Timothy. Your reading for this week is the entire book of 2 Timothy, and the reason we're asking you to do this is this is how Timothy would have read the letter from the beginning to the end. So we encourage you to read it, to read it out loud, maybe to someone in your discussion group or a study buddy that you have along the way, and listen to it. You can break out that uh, Bible app and, and listen to it as well. And our tool this week will be annotating. And we have a whole video for you to walk you through the process of note-taking through Scripture. But this week in particular, I want you to look for those repeated words or ideas. Because that will help you start to see some of those themes emerging that Laura's going to talk to you about next week. Let me pray for you and send you out. God, thank you for delighting us with your word today. Thank you so much for the grace that you showed us over and over again. We know we don't even deserve a seat at this table, but the one you've invited us to is just abundant and overflowing. Thank you so much. Help us to delight in your word together this week. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: tuning in today. Here on the Dayton Women in the Word podcast, you can listen to our teachers walk through 2 Timothy over the next eight weeks, with a new lecture being released every Wednesday. All resources for summer study can be found on our website, DaytonWomenInTheWord.com. May God meet you in your study of 2 Timothy this summer.